All right. Good morning again, everybody. And stand by me. We did this song last week. It's an older hymn, and I'm sure many of you know it, or all of you probably. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea. Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who rulest lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in battle array undertake to stop my way, Thou who saved Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Amen. Such a good song. Yeah. Number 264 in your hymnal. Or it should be up on the board for you, and I think you all know it anyway. It's in the garden. <clears throat> I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the road And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share As we tarry there None other 
has ever known. He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'd stay in the garden with him though the night all around me is falling but he bids me go through the voice of woe his voice to me is calling and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I don't think that's, that hymn will ever get old <laughs> All right. Well, Brother Bill, Miss Lynn, y'all want to y'all want to come up? We've got a we're doing kind of a special song, I guess, for you this morning. Miss Lynn came up here and said, "Hey, we ought to do that song, Return to Me and Sin No More," which she wrote. It's a great song, and it's funny because Miss Sue and I we've been talking about trying to do this with them for the last what month or two. We said we need to do that again. Great, a great song, Return to Me and Sin No More. Though the clouds of sin surround us And the forecast looks so drear I can see the dark clouds gather Full of sin they come so near But beyond the stormy tempest Just above the fiery flood There appears a mighty conqueror It is Jesus Christ our Lord He blotted the clouds Away forever Just like the sins Clouds of my heart They're gone away No more Return to me and sin no more. Y'all want to stand up with us? You stand up and sing? Sing with us. Hey, Miss Sue, you want to pick up the pace a little bit? We can pick up the pace a little bit. When the clouds of sin surround us, 
full of doubt and pain and fear. Just behold our mighty Father, telling us, child, have no fear. He has taken our transgressions and remembers them no more. They've been blotted out forever, through His blood we are secure. He blotted the clouds away forever, just like the sin clouds of my heart. Return to me and sin no more. You want to do the chorus again? Let's do the chorus one more time. He blotted the the cloud away forever, just like the sin clouds of my heart. They're gone away, no more remember. Return to me and sin no more. Return to me and sin no more. You want me to go high? <laughs> right. Well, I'm not a bass singer, you can tell that. But We had told Sue, don't play it too fast because there's too many words in it. And I can't get all the words out. So then I go over there and tell her to wind it up, you know. <laughs> it's according to what kind of mood you're in, I guess. We're glad to be back. Uh, we had a great time up there at the mission. Uh, met a lot of new people, right? He taught classes every morning. I taught the ladies some, so if y'all want to know what I taught them, you have to ask me, okay? <laughs> But you got a captivated audience there. How many of you remember <laughs> Russ and Kathy Jacka? Some of you remember them. We were able to drive over to uh, Flint, Michigan, and to visit with them. I'd like you to pray for them. They're doing okay. They've had some surgeries in the last few years, but uh, we had a great time visiting with them. We really missed all of you. I appreciate Brother Turner teaching for me, and I understand that you enjoyed Matt Wilder, a very talented young man. Let's ask the Lord's blessings on our study today. Father, I stretch my hands to Thee, no From the I go I go You remain standing for a moment and open your Bibles back there to the book of Genesis. Chapter 39, and while you're turning to that passage, let me say again that we really missed you. We uh, were able to uh, 
do a lot of teaching up there. I spoke on two Sunday mornings, taught a class every morning at 8 o'clock, and also taught on a Wednesday night Bible study. Lynn taught the ladies, and uh, we appreciate you praying for us. Now, since the coronavirus, we've had irregular church attendance, as has probably most, as have probably most congregations. And some of our own are not able to come as consistently as they would like. And I want to read this to you. This is from Brother Calvin LePetri. Brethren, just to let you know that we are fine. God's grace is amazing. He continues to sustain us and to supply our needs. We are thankful for all the prayers that go up to the Lord for us. And we keep Grace Church in ours. We miss seeing you all, but we are still hoping that we might see you again sometime soon. All our love, Calvin and Judy LePetri. I'd like to ask you to especially remember Calvin and Judy, and when you find a moment of time, give them a call uh, and uh, let them know that you're thinking about them. We're going to return now to our series of studies on the story of Joseph. We'll probably be in this series when the Lord comes back. We've been in it for a while, but he has such a rich life. He's such a wonderful person in the Scripture, one of the most outstanding people and lives in all of the Word of God. And uh, his story takes up most of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 39, and reading in verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. I selected as the theme for this study the secret of prospering while suffering. Now everyone in this church should know, and of course all Christians ought to know, that the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. All of the good works... All of the things that you do, even works of righteousness. Titus tells us in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. There are righteous works. But it's not by those works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to tell you right up front that the secret to Joseph's life and the secret to living a life of success and victory is through faith. 
And especially is this important if you're going through trial and suffering. Now, as I have studied the life of Joseph, I have been overwhelmed, and I've been overwhelmed by his life of righteousness and by his obedience in spite of the circumstances. So how do you explain a person like Joseph? I'm going to try to make this simple. We'll see how far we get today because I'm going to consult passages of Scripture. I am unlike many of the teachers and the preachers today that I see on television. They want to breeze through something in 35 minutes, and it's important that they get a couple of little thoughts. This is the Word of God. This is God's Word, and I'm not going to rush through or hurry through anything that has to do with God's Word. And if we don't get through with what I have to say today, I'll just continue it next week. And if you want to hear it, you'll be here to hear it. And if you don't want to hear it, you won't be here. So that's, that's the way it is. This, this is a life or death matter. This is eternal. I heard a man this morning on television, and he said, if you will just believe in Jesus, he said, you'll get to go to heaven, and you'll be with him forever and forever and forever and forever. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, the, the Bible is not just about us going to heaven and being with Jesus forever. The Bible talks to us about some bad news before it gets to the good news. How about dealing with the issue of sin? How about Jesus Christ coming into this world and suffering and bleeding and dying for a bunch of ungodly sinners? That's what the Scripture said. The Scripture says, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I can relate to that. And so the issue is, what am I interested in? Am I interested in using Jesus for a floor mat to escape hell and go to heaven? Or am I wanting to come to know him? I believe religion is the devil's counterfeit for revelation. Religion is the counterfeit for revelation. And I, I, I hope to point that out in this study. Let's start here. I ask the question again. How do we explain a life like the life of Joseph? And here's the first point. He was a believer. Now, what is a believer? I'm going to try to open that up for you today because I think we have wrong ideas about what a believer is. And I ask myself, as I saw these things in the Scripture, am I really a believer? First of all, a believer, very simply stated, is one who believes God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Noah believed God, and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Abel believed God, and he offered a more sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice, I should say, than Cain, by which he obtained witness, God bore witness, that he was righteous. So I wonder, do we believe God? When the Lord promises that all things will work together for good, do we really believe it? 
Joseph did, and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 50, when he met with all of his brothers, and he said, as for you, when you sold me, when you hated me, when you envied me, when you thought you were rid of me, you meant evil. But God meant it for good, he said. I'm wondering, when things go adverse, when they happen opposite of what I want them to happen, and I don't understand what's going on, can I, under, can I stop and say, this is going to work out for my good? Now, sometimes we have to redefine what good means. Good doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a check this afternoon. It's going to make you wealthy. Good doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to heal you of all your diseases and all your problems. How about this? Whatever draws you to the Lord, whatever makes you look to Him, whatever makes you cry out to Him, whatever makes you more dependent upon Him, that's good for you. That means that most of the good that comes to us come to us through trial. Trial and trouble make us consider our mortality, the shortness of our lives, the God with whom we have to do, the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. When we're in trial and trouble, we tend to think about those things. Isn't that right? So trial and trouble are used by the Lord to work good in our lives. When he promises that everything works together for good, do we really believe it? Can we really trust him? When the Lord tells us, as he does in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I wrote a song about that. I need to sing it sometimes. In everything, give thanks. When the Lord tells us that it is his will for us to give thanks in everything, do we believe him? Joseph understood that he was to be thankful for everything that had happened to him. He understood that nothing happened to him by accident, but that God had him in the palm of his hands and that he intended to work everything for his good and to work in all things. And therefore, Joseph could thank the Lord in everything. As the old man said when praying, Lord, we thank you for our enemies they keeps us on our knees. A believer is one who believes God. Do I believe it? Joseph knew he could be thankful for all things. I want you to turn to Genesis 15. Because he worshiped a God who keeps his promises. Joseph knew, for example... Joseph knew that after his death, he knew that his people were going to be in Egypt for over 400 years, and that they were going to be delivered from Egypt, and they were going to be led into the promised land. How did he know? Well, his father Jacob taught him, and his father Jacob was taught by his father Isaac, Joseph's grandfather, and his grandfather was taught by his father Abraham. And how did Abraham know? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after assuring Abraham that he would take care of him, this is verse 1, said, I'm your shield, the Lord said to Abraham, 
I'm your shield. I'm the one who will protect you. I'm the one who will keep diseases from you and enemies from you and everything that comes against you, including the devil. I'm your shield. Not all state that's got you in good hands. I'm your shield. And I am your exceeding great reward. I mean, after all, if you have God, what else do you need? If we have him, what else do we need? And that's what he says. I am your, ex- your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. Well, here's what was on Abraham's mind. You know, I'm getting on up there in age. What are you going to give me? I'm childless, verse 2. The only person I've got in my house that I might could leave my inheritance to is this Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, I don't have any children. You have given me no seed, verse 3. One born in my house is my heir. And the Lord said, look, Abraham, verse 4, this should not be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of your own bowels should be thine heir. And he brought him forth and he said, look at the heavens. Tell me how many stars there are in verse 5. Can you number them? So shall thy seed be. And here comes the famous statement that's repeated in the the book of Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. Abraham believed in the Lord, verse 6, and he counted it, the Lord counted it, for righteousness. See, faith is what pleases him. Believing him in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the situation, in spite of everything going backwards, in spite of what's going over in Ukraine, in Russia, in China, in spite of your bank account, in spite of your health, believing him, trusting in him, believing his word, that pleases him. And then the Lord says, I am the Lord, I'm the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees, verse 7, to give you this land. Now see, Abraham is traveling around in the land that God has promised him. He hasn't given it to him. He's going to give it his, to his, uh, his family. He said, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So the Lord now makes a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And then it says, let's, let's slip down to verse 13. And the Lord says to Abram, this is before his name was changed to Abraham, know for sure that your seed, your descendants, will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. That's Egypt. That's the Egyptian, the Egyptian uh, bondage that they were in for 430 years. He said, they shall serve them, verse 13, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. And then he says, and then I'll judge them. I'll judge that nation who enslaves your descendants. And then he says, in the last part of verse 14b, I'm going to deliver them from that nation, and when they leave, they're going to leave with a lot of wealth. They're going to be wealthy when they leave that nation. They're going to leave with great substance, it says in the King James Version. Then he says, Abraham, you're going to live... To be an old, old man. I'm just getting started with you. Abraham's first son wasn't born until he was 85 years old. And he says, you're going to go to your father's 
peace, you're going to be buried in good old age. And then he says, in the fourth generation, verse 16. Now, back in these days, people lived 100 years. The average age today here in America, I think women exceed men by several years, but it's getting close to 80. But back in those days, the average generation was 100 years. So 400 years, it says it again, 400 years, your descendants are going to come out for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, Abraham believed God. He taught his son Isaac what God said. And Isaac taught his son Jacob what he said. And Jacob taught all his 12 sons. And he certainly taught Joseph what he said. And so Joseph knows that God is going to keep his word. He knows he's going to keep his promise. He's going to do it after Joseph is dead. I'll have some more to say about that later. But Joseph dies believing God. Turn over to Genesis 50. I know we've read this, but let's read it again. Genesis chapter 50, the very last chapter. Here's what Joseph does that lets his Brothers know and lets us know that he believes the promise that God made to his great-grandfather Abraham. Verse 24, Genesis 50, verse 24. He says, I'm, I'm about to die now. My time for leaving is near. He lived 110 years. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land when she swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You tell me he, he didn't believe God? He believed God. He said God made a promise and he'll keep his promises. He'll keep his promises. Jesus said, I'm coming again. A lot of folks getting tired of waiting on Jesus. Been over 2,000 years now. And we're beginning to see what Peter said would happen. Where is the promise of his coming? For all things continue as they were since our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers fell asleep. Nothing's changing. There ain't no Jesus, and there ain't no Jesus going to be coming out of the heavens either. People are getting tired. They're getting tired of waiting on him. Not those who believe him, though. And so when Joseph died, he called his brothers together and made them swear with an oath. Verse 25, this is a type of oath that has to be carried out or bring a curse on you. And he said, we, he will surely visit you, verse 25, and you will carry up my bones from here and you will bury me in the land that God promised that you'll be going to. It's on God's timetable. I can't hasten it or delay it, but he's going to do it because he said he would. And I believe him. The secret of being able to, to deal with things, deal with issues and troubles and trials, getting old and death. Somebody said recently to me, they said, this thing and getting old ain't for sissies. The way to deal with that is you, you believe God. You believe Him. 
He said, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. He said, I'll call you one day and your body will get up out of that grave and you will go and you will serve me throughout eternity in glory. My son paid for it. I'll do it. I will do it. I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. Then he told uh, Joseph, we won't have to go back to it, <clears throat> back in that Genesis 15, he told him, in verses 18 through 21, he said, The Lord's going to drive out all those inhabitants there, the Jebusites and the Hivites and all the rest of them, the Shuhites. <laughs> He's going to drive them all out. And he said, And you're going to take over that land. So Joseph, along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, believed God. And he was still believing the Lord when he was about to die, as we just read. They took that thing called a sarcophagus, a big kind of a fancy coffin for kings. And they put Joseph in there and they embalmed him. And that coffin was sitting there in Egypt as a testimony of the faith of Joseph for 400 years. And every day when the grandfather would take his grandson up to there and he'd say, son, you know what this is? What is this, granddaddy? This is... Joseph, the great Joseph, who used to be the governor of Egypt, that's his coffin. His body is in there. What does that mean, granddaddy? Well, he died, and he, when he died, he made us promise that God would uh, deliver us, and when he delivered us, that we should take his body to the promised land and bury him there. And as I've said before, the only gospel that Israel had for over 400 years was that coffin of Joseph. That thing bore witness of his faith. It bore witness of God's promise. It bore witness of the immutability that is the changelessness of God. And the Lord, of course, did keep his promise. I say Joseph was a believer, and I'm asking myself, am I a believer? One who believes God, here's the second point. He was a believer. One who believes God, hears God. In John chapter 8 and verse 47, Jesus said to the Pharisees, He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. One who is a believer hears God's words. Again, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I go before them, and the sheep follow me, for they know my voice. And to others, he said, you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. This doesn't mean that we hear an audible voice. It means that we receive what the Lord says regardless. As the hymn writer said, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, 
weary and worn and sad, I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. A believer receives what the Lord says as truth. If we are believers, we have heard the Lord say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, we can rejoice in that passage, can't we? If you're a believer, you have come to Jesus, and you have found his words faithful and true. But here's another word from Jesus. Are we believers? Can we hear his word? You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The man who hates God today is enjoying just as much of that sunshine out there as God's children are. And the Lord keeps sparing them. But listen now. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do this? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Can we hear that? Joseph was a believer. A believer listens to the Lord, and a believer receives what the Lord says as gospel. Joseph, in Genesis 50, wept for the brothers who had betrayed him. He provided for them in the best land Egypt had to offer, the land of Goshen. Are we believers? Do we believe the Lord? If so, we can receive what the Lord says. We can ask for grace to bend our wills to what God says when it contradicts our wills. A believer believes the Lord, a believer hears the Lord, and a believer receives what the Lord says. Here's the third point. Listen now, this is very important. To hear God, to believe God, to receive the Word of God is to have a heart, although imperfect, although we fail, a heart to obey the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, a person who has no heart, no desire, no interest in being obedient to the Lord has not believed the Lord because he has not heard the Lord because he has not received what the Lord has said. Now, let me tell you where something is. If you want to turn over to it, you can. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Maybe they can put it up on the board for you. I've mentioned this before. In fact, I dissected it last year. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, called the Shema. The Shema. Shema Yisrael, Yahovah Elohim, Echad Yehovah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
Now, they called this the Shema because the first word in this verse is the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear. But listen to this. The word Shema means to listen and obey, to listen and to yield, to understand and consent. And that means that the person who has no heart to obey has not heard. He who does not understand does not obey. He who has no spiritual ears to hear cannot hear, cannot obey, has no interest in obedience. There are many people today in this generation in the United States, I've already mentioned this lightly, they think that they're going to use God's Son as a fire escape from hell while living like hell in this world. And they're going to be shocked on the great day of judgment. Now, don't think that I think that living righteously has anything to do with your salvation, because I don't. I'll explain this, I hope, in just a moment. I don't believe you can count up any, any points with the Lord. You don't have to have any points. Jesus Christ already paid for all your sins. What can you add to that? We can't add anything to it. But something has changed to us. Something has changed in our hearts. Something has changed in our minds. We can't be the same people we were once we meet the Son of God, can we? There are people today that think that they're going to use the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. Jesus said often, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, what does that mean? To hear means to listen and to yield your will to the voice that speaks to you, to have a heart to obey. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the markets and calling to their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you haven't danced, we have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. That is to say, in our modern English, we sang wedding songs to you and you wouldn't dance. And then we sang funeral songs to you and you wouldn't cry. What's wrong with you? Can't you hear? The problem is you can't hear because you have no heart to hear. You have no ears to hear. You have no heart to respond to the sound you hear. My friends, listen. If salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? And if one can hear the Word of God without a desire to be obedient thereto, what good is it to hear? The Lord spoke to Abraham. How do we know Abraham heard? He obeyed. He went out from his own country, not knowing where he was going, but only obeying the voice of the Lord he heard. The Lord spoke to Noah. How do we know Noah heard the Lord? He got busy building a boat. A believer is one who shamas the Lord, who believes him. And one who believes the Lord is one who hears the Lord. And one who hears the Lord is one who receives what the Lord says. 
And one who hears what the Lord says acts upon what he has heard. This is a believer. To believe is far more than trying to use the Lord Jesus Christ as an escape door from hell and get me into heaven. What multitudes are doing today, and they're calling it faith. And it's as far from faith is as heaven is from hell. The Bible over and over and over and over, Jesus told all kind of parables about the master and the servant. And as I will show you later, that word servant is doulos. It's the word translated slave. We are freed from the slavery of sin that we might be the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? Floating around on a cloud, playing a harp? Listen, even before man sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Lord put him to work. Even before he sinned, he said, I want you to dress the garden and keep it. And then after he sinned, keeping the garden became therapy for man. In other words, the Lord intended for man to keep busy because you know what? When we don't get busy, when we don't stay busy, when we don't occupy ourselves, we get in trouble. Remember your grandmother's old saying, idleness is the devil's workshop? When did David get in trouble? With Bathsheba. The Bible says it was the time of the year when kings go out to war. What was David doing? He was sleeping till noon. And his, his house was way up on top of the hill. All those houses in those days had flat roofs. He came out on top of his house and he looked down the hill and there was a beautiful woman out there taking a bath. And he said, I'm going to have her up here tonight for supper. And he did. And she was the wife of a man named Uriah and her name was Bathsheba. And he got in trouble and for that God judged David's house. He took that child that was born and took that child out of this world. He, he, his sons, uh, one of his sons, Absalom tried to kill David. Absalom killed one of his own brothers because one of his own brothers raped one of his sisters. There was nothing but trouble after that because he was idle. We are saved to serve the Lord. Every one of you today who are Christians are in the ministry. You're in the ministry. This is just one aspect of the ministry here, teaching, but you're in the ministry. You've got a ministry for the Lord. You've got something you need to do and you can, you can do in serving, in serving him. And we need to understand that, that a believer is a person who is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, far more than trying to use the Lord as an escape from hell and a door into heaven. Now let's look at Joseph and ourselves for a minute. I'd like for you to go ahead in your Bible. Let me tell you where I'm going to be going. And maybe turn over to the book of uh, 1 John. And we're also going to look at Romans chapter 6. 1 John and Romans chapter 6. I don't want anyone here to misunderstand me. Joseph was a believer by the sovereign grace of God. Joseph did not become a believer. This is very important. Joseph did not become a believer when he acted on the word of God. 
He acted on the Word of God because he was a believer. Do you become a human being when you begin to talk? Or did you begin to talk because you are a human being or were a human being? When does a dog become a dog? Let's watch it now. Let's see if it barks. It's a dog. No, a dog barks because it is a dog. Barking doesn't make it a dog. It, do- it barks because it is a dog. A duck quacks because it is a duck. Sinners sin because they're sinners. You don't become a sinner when you sin. Probably most of you have never heard of Pelagianism and you hadn't missed much of anything. But Pelagius said, look, Adam had his own personal individual fall, and his fall in the Garden of Eden doesn't have anything to do with any of his descendants. And so every child that's born in this world is born in the same state that Adam was in before he fell. And then you become a sinner. You make a choice. One day you want to serve God, and one day you don't. But it's all in your volition. It's all in your will. That's not true. David said himself of himself, in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, I came forth from the womb speaking lies. So I ask you, when did you become a human being? You became a human being the moment you were conceived. Now we're being told today by the abortionists that you don't become a human being until you're born. That's not true. David said, you had all my parts before I was ever born. You numbered them and you put them together. I was fearfully and I was wonderfully made. When as yet there were none of them. You became a human being the moment you were conceived. But think with me now. Although you were a human being, you didn't know you were a human being for years. You began to act like a human being the moment you were born, but you weren't aware of it for years. No, your parents may not have admitted it. Those parents of Jackson Lawrence, Brother Hazelwood's grandson, they may not admit it. Don't tell anybody, don't tell them I told you. That boy was born a sinner. I tell you, some of the first words that kids say, they may say, Mama, or they say, say, Dada. But about third or fourth or somewhere right in there, they're going to, you know what they're going to say? No! (laughs) No! I don't want that! We see kids in Kroger. I'm going to probably, your pastor, I'll probably be in prison before I die. I get in line sometime at Kroger and see, see a kid over here kicking his mother in the leg. I want that. I, I want to have that right now. And pulling out candy or whatever they want, and they want it right now. No! Where did that come from? That came from that nature called a sinful nature that they're born with. And if that, if that kid that's three or four or five years old If he was 25 years old and stronger than you, he'd knock you in the head and knock you across the room when you told him he couldn't have something. That's what he'd do. All of us were born sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. 
I hope I'm a sanctified sinner, but I'm still a sinner. I still have that nature in me that called the flesh, not just this flesh, the principle within me of a fallen nature that I still have. And I still have a battle. Can anybody relate to that? I have a battle. I became a human being when I was conceived, but I was not aware that I was a human being for several years. Maybe I was three or four years old before I became aware that I was a human being. I heard someone say years ago, I've been a Christian all my life. I said, well, brother, that's just a little bit too long. (laughs) That's just a little too long. No one is born believing God, and this includes Joseph. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. Joseph was born a sinner, just as we are, But it's evident that at some point in his life, the Lord gripped him. No doubt his father, Jacob, the Lord used his father, Jacob, to tell him about the Lord. No doubt he used his mother also. There are many who know, maybe some of you here today, many of you may know when you expressed faith. But I contend that the Lord was at work upon you long before you expressed faith. And I draw that from the analogy of the birth. Jesus said you have to be born again. So when you're born, you were conceived in your mother's womb, and then I say you were several years old before you realized you were. And when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become aware of being a sinner and aware that there's a Savior in Christ and you cast yourself on him. But God's been working in you long before that. If he didn't work on you, you would never come to Christ. You would never come to Christ. So the Lord gripped Joseph somewhere early in his life. We all know that we were born from our mother How many of you remember it? Well, how do you know you were born? You know you were born because you're here now. And you're fully aware of it. Your present life does not depend upon you knowing when you were born. Now, even though you may know when you express faith, your salvation does not depend upon you knowing the point in time when you express faith. Doesn't depend on that. Well, faith, the faith of Joseph in the Lord is evident. How is it evident? By his life, by his conduct. No matter where he was, no matter what the circumstances, no matter the consequences, Joseph always did, as far as the Bible record is concerned, he always did what pleased the Lord. When he was sold by his brothers, he did what pleased the Lord. When the Ishmaelites sold him again, he did what pleased the Lord. When he was accosted by the wife of his master Potiphar, he did what pleased the Lord. And even though he's now in prison, he's going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Now listen to me. He did not do right because he thought he would get some points 
with God. He did not do right to save himself. He did not do right to add to what the Lord had done for him. He did not do right because he was a legalist, because he lived hundreds of years before the law was ever born, was ever given to Israel for Moses. He did what was right because he was righteous through faith. The same way we are. We're saved by faith unto righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, and we believe God, we hear God, we receive willingly what the Lord says, and we have the attitude that Paul the Apostle had when he was stopped on the road to Damascus. He was going to kill Christian, and the Lord unhorsed him, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And the second thing he said was, What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? That's the spirit of every person who hears, believes, and receives the Word of God. Don't tell me you hear the Word of God, but you, you don't, you're not interested in doing what it tells you to do. Don't tell me that, because that's a lie. And you're going to deceive yourself if you embrace that. Joseph did what was right through faith. His doing right or righteousness was the natural expression of his spiritually righteous nature. Well, we read earlier, weeks and weeks ago in Genesis 37, that he even told his father the truth about what his brothers were doing. It was called an evil report. That was from their perspective. He even told the truth about that, even though he knew it was going to cost him. He did right regarding his master's wife, though he knew she would lie about it. And now, although he's been imprisoned unjustly, he's going to do the right thing. It's obvious to me that Joseph is God-conscious. He's a God-conscious man. You know how I know that? When Potiphar's wife wanted to know why he couldn't have a relationship with her, this is what he said in Genesis 39 and verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God. What did he have in mind? He had his God in mind. <laughs> he didn't have in mind what John Brown thought about him or what somebody else thought about him. Or was he going to get some points with God? You're listening now, Lord? I'm going to... How can I do this and sin against God? Why was this? Why did he, why was he like this? Because the spirit of his righteous God was upon him, making him a righteous man. He's righteous before God, and he will do right before men. A righteous man will do right. Now, Jesus taught us that we ought to do right just because it is right and for no other reason. See, doing right ain't going to get you into heaven. <laughs> you ought to do right. You ought to do right. Jesus is the one that pays for your sins to get you into heaven. You don't add anything to that. But we ought to do right just because it's right. Listen to these words. I'm reading from Luke 17, beginning in verse 10. 
The servant does not deserve thanks for doing the right thing, does he? These are the words of Jesus. It is the same with you, he said to his disciples. When you have done all you've been told to do, then say of yourselves, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. Listen to this New Testament expanded translation of that verse. Listen to this. Whenever you do all the things which have been commanded you, say, we are servants who, because we have done more than that, nothing more than that which was commanded us, are not deserving of any meritorious mention. We have done that which we ought to have done. You don't get brownie points with the Lord because you do right. <laughs> you ought to do right. I ought to do right. The Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3, I gave you a little heads up a little earlier. It's uh, one of the last books before the last book in the Bible, Revelation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he, that's Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him sins not. Whoever sins has not seen him and known him. Now, listen, don't get upset about that verse. I'm going to explain it to you. If he died to take away our sins, Shall we love the sin he died to take away? I must hate sin. I, I need to hate sin. I don't hate sin nearly as much as I ought to. I hate it more now than when I was converted, but I don't hate it nearly as much as I ought to. The Apostle Paul, before he died, he said, In me, that is in my flesh, that dwells no good thing. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Now, if Christ died to take away our sins, shall we love the sin he died to take away? He died to take away the penalty of sin that we might not perish in hell. He died to take away the power of sin that it might not rule in our lives and destroy us. He died to rid us of all sin which will be our state when we receive our glorified bodies in heaven. He died for our sins, my friends. And we're at war. I told Lynn yesterday, my wife, I said, people don't understand that the Bible teaches us. Now listen, God made this world, the only true and living God. He made the world. I believe that. But the scripture says that the God of this world is the devil. Now, what you are, if you're a believer, you, you've gone AWOL. That's why people don't like what you say if you say something about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they don't want to hear you say anything about the Lord. That's why this past week on television, the woman who is going to be uh, the next Supreme Court judge uh, one of the senators said, uh, I understand that you go to worship a few times a week. Would you like to say something about your faith? 
Oh, she said, I don't think we should talk about that, and that's private. I thought the Lord Jesus Christ said that you're to give a witness and a testimony anytime you get an opportunity. I thought he said, no matter if you're president of the United States or if you're the garbage collector and somebody asks you about your faith, you ought to give every man that asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you. Is that what the Bible said? And I'm not talking about that lady because she's black. I don't care about that. I don't care that she's a woman. I don't care anything about that. Doesn't make any difference to me. But the fact that she was asked a question, they asked a question that said, uh, what is a woman? And she wouldn't answer the question. Because you've got all these gender identity problems today. When somebody says, well, I know I look like a man, but I'm a woman. I know I look like a woman, but I'm a man. And if I were a senator, I would say, well, uh, what are you? I believe the president said he wanted to install the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Do you know what you are? If you don't know what you are, how are you going to rule on the Constitution? My friends, we are in chaos today. We're in confusion, especially in the West, in the United States, because we have rejected the God of Scripture, the God who's made this nation great, the God who has blessed us, the God who has elevated us. We have rejected him, and now the foundations are being destroyed. The foundations of the republic are being destroyed. When we have all these storms and we have all this bad weather, nobody in their wildest imagination would ever connect that with Father God. They're too, they're too obsessed with Mother Nature. But I can show you in the Scripture where God says, I cause it to rain on one city and not on another. You disobey me and I'll curse your crops. I'll curse your weather. I'll send floods on you. I'll bring earthquakes on you. I'm going to get your attention. And if you won't give me any attention, I'll bring some more judgment. All of these things are the Lord saying, look to me and remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. All of these things are messages from God in his goodness and in his grace warning us. But we don't, we're not going to listen. We're not going to listen. Well, God would do anything like that. That's what the devil told Adam uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden, why, you shall not surely die. Well, you know, God wouldn't have anything to do with that. And we believe in the same lie today. So he says here, Christ was manifested to take away our sins. And then he says, whoever abides in him sins not. Now somebody said this. I wrote this down. Said the world of spirits, which is heaven, can never be a comfort to those who comfort themselves with the filth of the flesh. If the flesh comforts you now, what makes you think you're going to be comforted in heaven? Why, heaven would be hell to you. Is that about right? That makes sense to me. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Rome, in Romans 6, did I say we were going to be in Romans chapter 6? And we're going to come back to 1 John maybe in a minute. Depends on how far along we get. But Romans chapter 6, verse 
Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Writing to Christians. And verse 12, he said, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it. I think it was Martin Luther who said, I cannot stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from making a nest in my hair. So, do I have evil thoughts, wicked thoughts? Yes, I do. That's like the birds flying over my head. Do I have problems? Yes. I have to tell myself all the time, you're not going to do that. (laughs) You're not going to have that. You're going to go in this direction. You're not going the way your flesh wants to go. You're going the way the Lord wants you to go. I have to talk to myself all the time like that. No wonder they haven't institutionalized me. I'm talking to myself. But my friends, he says, don't let this sin rule in your mortal body that you should obey it. You can't do anything about it being there and tugging with you and playing with you and tempting you, but you can ask the Lord for help that you not, don't obey it. Neither, verse 13, yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Don't act like you're still dead in trespasses and sins. You've had a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection, and your members yield them as instruments of righteousness unto God. For, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. This is very important. For you're not under law, but under grace. Notice that it is just because we are not under law that we should walk in righteousness. Walking in righteousness is not legalism. It is the most spiritual thing we can do. What then? Verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He said, look, you're not under the law. You're under grace. And that's not a reason to sin. That's a reason not to sin. That's a reason to fight against it. That's a reason to war against it. And not give in to it. God forbid you were, some of you are going to have, most of you are going to have the servants of sin. That word is slaves. That's the word doulos that I mentioned to you earlier. You were the slaves of sin, but you have obeyed. I've already defined what that means. You have believed, you have embraced, you have received from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being made free from sin. You became the slaves of righteousness. You're still a slave, but now you're a slave of righteousness. When you were the slaves of of sin, verse 20. When you were the slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become slaves to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end 
everlasting life. Sin always leads to death, verse 23. Sin always leads to death. The death of the body, a lot of people who die, and they die because they have not taken care of their bodies. They, they mistreat their bodies. I, I, I have not treated my body as I should have. I confess that. I haven't eaten as I should. I haven't rested as I should. There are lots of things, uh, habits that I had that have hurt my body. I'm thankful to the Lord that he delivered me from them. I'm thankful to the Lord that I've lived to the age that I've lived. But we all have done the wrong things. But now he says the emphasis is here is being made free from sin, verse 22. And here he, does, he can't just mean free from the penalty of sin, that's hell, but free from the power of sin. We are wrestling now with sin. If you don't have a wrestling match every day, you probably aren't saved. You probably aren't regenerated. Before I was saved, I didn't have any wrestling matches. It's just one person, that was me, and I was on the throne, and I did what I wanted to do. If I did what I wanted to do, I was happy. Because the only person I was trying to please was me. <laughs> but now I'm trying to please the Lord. So I got a wrestling match going on. And it goes on all the time. And that's why I, as a Christian, can look forward to the time when the Lord takes me out of this world. Because then the wrestling match will be over. And one day I'll be given a glorified body, and I'll be able to see him face to face. And then I shall look upon him who saved me by his grace. We need to stop here. I do want to make one comment about the word back there in 1 John 3, whoever abides in him does not sin, whoever sins has not seen him. The word there, and in the context means whoever practices sin. The reason I know that John is not saying that after you're saved you never sin is because he's already told us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, any person that says they have not sinned since they've known Christ is a liar. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. Then he says, what do we do about sin? 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Confess your sins. And I'll tell you about that next week. If you confess your sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if he says, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar in chapter 1, then he gets over here to chapter 3 and he says, if you've been saved, you don't sin. No, no, he means you don't practice sin. You're not following after it, living for it, doing it unconsciously and without conviction. You're still a sinner. But now you've got an advocate. You've got a lawyer. And he defends your case in heaven. And when you sin and you confess and you acknowledge that sin, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Forgive him, Father, for I paid for them. I paid for them. He has been acquitted from his sins. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. You understand... And salvation is by the grace of God. Not only did the Lord call me and grant me faith in his son, but he must now sustain me. 
I have been saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. I'm going to talk to you maybe pretty soon here, probably during a, a midweek study. I plan in April sometimes to have some midweek studies if you want to come out. And I want to tell you about this, this language being saved. Many people are confused by it. Uh, many people uh, make fun of it. Uh, well, you know, you've been, I got saved. Well, I'm going to try to open it up for you in a Wednesday night study. I'll let you know when. I hope you can see that Joseph was a man who was saved by the grace of God, just like you are, just like I am, through faith in the Word of God. And now the Word of God for us has become flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The Word of God that Joseph believed has become flesh. And we believe Him. And we have Him. Thank God I am free, free, free. You know, it was Martin Luther King who said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. Well, you're never free in this world. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. John chapter 8. Unless you're set free in Christ, you ain't free. But when He sets you free, you can be in a prison and you're still free. The Apostle Paul said that when he was in prison. He said, they got me bound here, but he said, the Word of God's not bound. Word of God's not bound. It will accomplish that whereunto he has sent it. May the Lord bless all of you. I hope you have a great week, a good week in the Lord. I hope you're looking to the Lord, trusting in the Lord. And if any of you have not confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, I uh, implore you to do that. Uh, Call on the Lord, believe His Word, receive His Word, and in spite of all your sins, He'll, He'll receive you, He'll take you. Let's sing our song in closing. Under the blood of Jesus, safe. In the shepherd's fold Under the blood of Jesus Safe while the ages roll Safe though the world may cry Safe though the stars Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure. Let me encourage you to not only be faithful yourself, but to invite someone. That sounds kind of Neanderthalian, doesn't it? But invite somebody to come out and hear the Word of God. Tell them we don't put pressure on them here to walk an aisle, sign a card, raise their hand. We just... Teach them the Word of God, and that's between them and the Lord. 
Invite them. Some of you have sons and daughters that they don't worship anywhere. They don't know the Lord. Some of you have fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles. Invite them. Impress them. It's a matter of life and death. It might be that the Lord will save them. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We are thankful today for your wonderful, great, marvelous salvation of grace. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. When you died upon the cross, you said it is finished. And now you're calling by your spirit through the gospel those who are your people, those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who believe on him and receive his word and hear it so that they have a heart to walk with him, to talk with him, to fellowship with him. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray, Lord, that you will cover us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just fill us with the Spirit of Christ that we might walk as he walked in this world while we have breath. We thank you for your mercy upon us here in this place. We thank you for the way you have supported us all these years. We pray, Father, that your name will be glorified in this place as long as this building shall stand. We praise you for the time we've spent together looking into your holy word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, I ask it for his sake. Amen. And you're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you.